right, um, it's great to see everybody this evening. We went ahead and, uh, and prayed. Um, we've got uh, a van that's running a little late for the, uh, the class here, but um, we're going to go ahead and get started. So this is um, class number 23, and um, it's still Febu- February, but here uh, in Hueytown, Alabama, it feels like spring, maybe summer. I think it got close to 80 degrees today. So anyway, let's, um, let's just do a real quick review, as we always do. Um, we're answering a really important question. That question is, what is man? We've said that man is a God-class being. Man is a spirit being. Man is the legal authority on earth. And then man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. And we've been focused on that last one now for the last few classes. In the course of that study, we've said that man is a being with the ability to do certain things. And we have these abilities because we were created in the image and likeness of God, and because we were created in the image and likeness of God, we have um, attributes that exist nowhere else other than in God and then in us. And so it's understanding these abilities because, as we've said on numerous occasions, um, Satan, your enemy and source of your uh, adversity, is uh, wanting to use what you are against you what you are against you. Um, we began last week to talk about the power of the words of our mouth. And, um, and again, uh, those words are very powerful. So the devil is trying to um, manipulate uh, you. And if you're ignorant of these things, it's very easy for him to do it. He's trying to manipulate you into using your own words against yourself. Use your own words against yourself. So anyway, we've said that man is a being with the ability to think, reason, and form opinions. Also, we have the ability to agree, we have the ability to believe, we have the ability to experience and express emotions, and then we said the fifth one is that man is a being with the ability to speak. Man is a being with the ability to speak. One translation of the creation verses that speak of of man becoming a living soul Uh, after God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, says that man became a speaking spirit. Man became a speaking spirit. Right? Now, um, also just by way of review, we looked at Proverbs 18, 20 and 21, and I'll read those. It says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, there are certain teachings uh, for a more formal word, we would call them doctrines. There are certain doctrines that um, are more controversial, more uh, opposed than um, other teachings or other doctrines, right? And this doctrine, this teaching, is one of those that is, um, is highly resisted uh, it's one that, that people mock and make fun of, name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it, um, you know, these kinds of things. And, um, and I, I'm telling you, it's, it's like when we talk about resistance. Um, you can just about navigate in your life based upon the resistance that the enemy brings against you. In other words, he's trying to, to, to manipulate you to take the path of least resistance. Okay, And so the things that are good, things that are healthy... Uh, the enemy is always trying to, to bring resistance where those things are concerned, to make them seem hard, 
to make them seem controversial. And this is one of the ways that he tries to manipulate us. And so again, there is a tremendous amount of resistance around this particular teaching, this particular doctrine. If you're a student of the Bible, and I know that you are, then you will see, and especially if you read the Bible objectively, in other words, not with any preconceived ideas about this, if you read the Bible objectively with the Holy Spirit helping you, you will see that the power of words are throughout the Scriptures, from cover to cover. And again, these are God's ways. Remember we talked about God's ways, and the one thing that, that God said about His ways in Isaiah 55 is that His ways are higher than our ways. And not just a little bit higher than our ways, but that His ways are as high, uh, are higher than our ways as high as the heavens are above the earth. Amen. So we see that God's ways are, are much higher. And, and so when we look at the ways of God compared to the ways of, of mankind, we see that, that you know, many times it's, it's even the opposite. Uh, for instance, God says if you want to be great, you have to humble yourself. Okay? God says if you want to have money, you, you give. Uh, the world says if you want to have money, you've got to hoard it up and be stingy and selfish and greedy and all these other things. So the ways of God are not just higher than the ways of man, but they're superior to the ways of man and, and many times fly in the face of or are opposite to the ways of man. Right? Now, one last thing, and we'll keep moving here, and, and that is the devil is constantly trying to take things that are spiritual in nature and try to get us to understand them from a fleshly or physical perspective. Or, or, or let me say it another way to convert them to something that is physical in nature. A classic example of that would be the manifestations of the Spirit, often referred to as the gifts of the Spirit. So, for instance, a word of wisdom or um, uh, unknown tongues. See, those in, in the traditionally, uh, uh, tr traditional religious opinions, traditional religious world, they, they take that and they say, well, you know, some people are smarter than others. You know, a teacher has a gift of wisdom or someone who has the gift of unknown tongues, this is somebody who can easily learn foreign languages. Again, no, 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 a thousand times no. But again, it's trying to take something that is spiritual and explain it as being something natural or something physical. And that's just simply not what this is. And so the same is true when it comes to what the Bible teaches us about the power of words. This is something spiritual. Amen. Now words, you know, when we, when we say the power of words, um, words can move us. Uh, you know, someone can speak very powerfully and, and inspire us and motivate us. And, and, and certainly that's the case. I'm not denying that. But if that's all we understand when we talk about the, the power of our words, then we are falling way short of what God uh, intended uh, for our words to accomplish and what those, uh, and how those words um, affect uh, every aspect of our lives. So he said, "Your stomach satisfied by the fruit of your mouth. From the produce of your lips, you shall be filled." Now, <laughs> I have to be careful here because sometimes you say one thing and it requires a whole lot of ex expl explanation, um, and, I, and I'm not wanting to, you know, go too far down this road. But we were, we were not created for toil. We were not created for painful labor. 
Um, that is not how God created and intended for us to function. We were created for something called tending, not toiling, right? That doesn't, when we say, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned and brought a curse upon this planet, and, and then we see that, that after that, they were to, to, to make their way by the sweat of their brow. That's not God's highest and best. Amen. God did not create this earth by the sweat of His brow. He created this earth by speaking from His throne. Are you seeing this, right? Amen. And so we were created in His image and in His, li- in it, and in his likeness to look like He looks and to function like He functions. So, Father God created you in such a way as for your stomach to be filled by the words that you speak. Now again, the world tries to take that and say, well, certain people do make a living by talking. Lawyers make a living by talking. Preachers make a living by talking. Teachers make a living by... Then that's not what he's saying here. He's talking about your words releasing the resources of God's kingdom into your life. All right? So death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We looked at those verses last week. We're not going to look at them again out of the Old Testament where God clearly said, I set before you both life and death, both blessing and curse. You choose. You choose. Amen. So who chooses what you say? (laughs) You choose what you say. Amen. Um, And we'll look at, even when it comes to praying in an unknown tongue, um, you're still choosing to say what you uh, allow the Holy Spirit to give you utterance to say. But that's hopefully before we get to the end tonight, we'll be able to look at some of that. All right, so let's go back to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse number 20. And um, there's a lot that carries over from last week into this week. And last week we looked at Romans 10 about the word of faith and what does it say and what what does it not say. And we see that it says that what the Word of God is, is nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth, the Word of faith which we speak. Amen. And so, where faith is something in the heart, it is released, it is released through action. Faith without action, faith without works is what? It's dead, right? Okay. So, Certainly those actions corresponding to something internally that we believe, um, we release that faith externally through action. So it could be through obedience. It could be through writing a tithe check. Amen. That again, you can believe in tithing all you want to believe in it, but, but the power of it will never be released in your life until you take the faith in your heart where tithing is concerned and mix it with an act of obedience and you write the check, right? So faith without works is dead. It has to be... It has to be uh, released from inside your heart through action, right? And so I'm not saying that this is the only action, but I am saying more times than not, it is the first action, and that would be the action of speaking. In other words, faith is released from your heart in a practical way through the words that you speak out of your mouth. Through the words that you speak out of your mouth. In the same way. Doubt and unbelief are released, amen, when we speak words of doubt and unbelief out of our mouths. We even say, and I'm getting way ahead of myself now, but we'll, when we talk about the power of the mind and the renewing of the mind, we see that the way we take thoughts, 
or through spoken words. The Bible says, take no thought by saying. So the enemy puts thoughts in our minds. He's trying to get us to grab and hold on to those thoughts. And the way we take a thought is by speaking that out of our mouths. All right? Now, clearly the Bible teaches that the devil puts thoughts in people's minds. And, it, and hopefully it'll be a great day for you like it was a great day for me that not every thought that I have is my own. And when you're having a conversation with yourself, you better make sure that you're not the only one sitting at the table because a lot of times the enemy likes to come in and make you think that the thoughts are yours when they're actually his. He's feeding you those lies, those thoughts, okay? But the way we begin to make a thought our own is by saying it out of our mouths, by speaking it out of our mouths. We can refuse thoughts by refusing to say what those thoughts are, you know, out of our mouths, by confessing, by confessing. We were born again how? Believing in the heart, confessing with the mouth, right? So again, there's a lot to this, but Jesus gave us one of the greatest lessons on faith that's anywhere in the Word of God, and it's found in Mark chapter 11. Now, last week we looked on up ahead where, you know, prior to this, where Jesus spoke to the fig tree. Um, they went on in and into the city and took care of some business. Now the next day, they're leaving. And it says this, Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, Shazam, I put that part in there, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. So Jesus is teaching them, right? I'm not going to go back and review it. We touched on a little bit on it uh, Sunday night. It came up in a sermon out of Matthew 11 on Sunday night. But do you remember Manthano? Manthano is um, a, a Greek word translated in our English word learning. It means what? To put forth, to put forth, <laughs> to put forth, to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. To put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. So Jesus is the master. He has disciples, right? And the whole purpose of Manthano is to reproduce the master in the disciple. The Bible says that a, a student, a disciple, will never be greater than his master, but if he's perfectly trained by his master, he will be just like his master. So as far as Jesus was concerned, until you and I could, re could reproduce the same work and the same results that he was producing, we hadn't learned anything yet, all right? So in our Western culture, um, you could go to business school and get a four-year degree in business, and, and there's a chance that all four years you were taught by professors who had never owned or ran a business. Other cultures laugh at us. Amen? Eastern cultures are all about hands-on learning experientially, right? And that's why so much of what we learn in the body of Christ is theoretical. In other words, we know it in theory, but we've never experienced it, Okay? So, with all that review, with all that reminder, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's trying to teach them about faith, not by sitting them down in the classroom and explaining it to them, but by showing it to them, by showing them how faith works, by showing them what faith will do. And so when they notice the tree had withered up from the roots, notice when Jesus first spoke to that tree, nothing happened. Nothing, the correction Something did happen, but nothing visible happened. Nothing that they could see. No noticeable difference. No noticeable change. But something happened where? Beneath the surface. Remember we said these things are dynamic and interactive. And one of the things about a dynamic, anything that's dynamic is it's by definition an underlying cause. 
So Jesus spoke to the tree. Nothing appeared to happen. Nothing visibly changed about the tree. But when they came back the next day, it was dried up from the root. And when they pointed that out to Jesus, they were surprised. Jesus was not surprised. Jesus would have been surprised if the tree had not been withered from the root. Okay? He says to them on this occasion, in this moment, have faith in God. One translation says have the faith of God. Another says have the God kind of faith. Verse 23, for assuredly, now, I've said this so many times, hopefully by now you know what I'm about to say. But anytime Jesus says assuredly, verily, verily, most assuredly, he's saying that basically um, to uh, get us to brace ourselves. Because he's about to tell you something that's not going to seem true. It's not going to seem possible. It's, it's going to seem so far-fetched, so far beyond what we have experienced or what we think that if we're not careful, it'll sell right over our heads or at best pass through one ear and go right out the other. So for assuredly, brace yourself. What he's about to say is not going to seem right, but it's right. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, there's a few things that Jesus connected together. If you, if you recall, for those of you who, who were here when we were in 2 Corinthians 5 for several weeks in a row, we said that one of the reasons 2 Corinthians 5 is the foundational, scriptural, biblical foundation for these classes is because... At 2 Corinthians 5, there are a lot of things that are intersecting in, in those verses. A lot of things coming together right there. Um, very, very rich. Amen. All right? So here again, we have one of these um, scriptural intersections, if you will. A whole lot of things are colliding in a good way um, in the intersection of Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. First of all, we have, again, one of the greatest lessons, if not the greatest lesson on faith that we have in all the Word of God, coming from the lips of Jesus. We have the object lesson of the tree and, and, and the power of words and how words and faith are connected and how our faith, come on now, our faith and our words can be used as a tool. Our faith and our words can be used to, to make a difference, a real, measurable, tangible, verifiable difference in circumstances and situations that, that are all around us, right? But then we also see a trifecta here. We see a third connection, and that is the connection between the words that we speak, releasing and expressing faith, and Jesus called this prayer. He connected this to this all-important subject of prayer. In other words, He is introducing to us a new method, a new form, a new way of praying. And that new form, method, way of praying is the New Testament form, method, way of praying. And it involves you and me speaking the Word of God, also known as the answer, directly to the problem. Remember, the Word of faith does not say, Jesus, come down here and fix this for me. Or, if you haven't raised up from the dead yet, because some people didn't believe that He had, would you please come back from the dead and fix this for me? That's not how faith speaks. 
Faith speaks how? The Word of God is nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth, the Word of faith which we preach. So he's talking about, again, speaking directly to the mountain, directly to the sickness, directly to the debt, directly to the demonic spirits that are trying to, to crush you or your family. Amen. Amen. Because there's power in words. There's power in words. Right? Are you still with me? Amen. Almost kind of feels like I've been caught up in the Spirit and I'm just kind of in this room preaching by myself. Everybody with me? Amen. Amen. I try to teach, but we're preaching right now. Praise God. All right. So, reckon this is important. Reckon this is something we ought to be interested in. Reckon this is like, if it's true, and it is, and I don't mean to question it, I'm just trying to, you know, somehow imprint upon your thinking and your thoughts, right? When I say if, if this is true, then, you know, should this be something that, that we uh, become a, not just aware of, but, uh, you know, really begin to, to consider um, as far as, you know, our daily lives are concerned? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. How many questions I asked there? Yes. All right. Now, I want to, if I could, just while I'm here, Jesus, and, and, and you know, if, if I'm splitting a hair, it's because why? The hair needs to be split. Okay? So, we hear this and we think that Jesus told us we have to believe that the mountain will move when we speak to that mountain. That is not what Jesus said. He didn't say that if you believe and do not doubt in your heart, the mountain will move. That's not what He said. Now, I know again, I'm splitting the hair, but man, this went off inside of me about a year and a half ago after I don't know how many times I've read this, how many times I've preached from this. It's like it exploded inside of me. And I'm praying it will explode inside of you tonight. Jesus said, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart that what you say will come to pass, you will have whatever you say. Notice where He's wanting us to focus or concentrate our faith. Not in the mountain moving, but in the words that we speak coming to pass. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, help me say this better. Amen. See, if He just said, you know, you got to move the mountain with your faith, and we're like, whoa, hold on just a second. That's not what He said. By saying that, He just put it out of most everybody's reach. But He said, no, if you will believe in your heart, and do not doubt that what you say will come to pass, then you'll have whatever you say. Right? Do you see the difference in that? Somebody says, no, I don't see the difference in that, Pastor Mark. I'm looking for some keys because I'm going to see if somebody will get us some air flowing in here. Y'all, the only, Am I the only one warm in here? Amen. Sister Pam, you got, you got yours. If you just want to turn the fan from auto to on, it will circulate the cool air in the building in here to us. All right, praise God. Amen. Maybe I shouldn't have tackled this. Maybe I should have. One of the reasons... I may do it yet, sister. One of the reasons 
that the devil is trying to keep you ignorant about your words, right, is so that this truth from Jesus will never be productive or functional in your life. Let me say it another way. The devil doesn't want you to believe what you say. And, and, and the way he does that is by getting us to use what Jesus called idle words. If a car is idling, it's, not in, it's, it's just sitting there. It's not going forward or backward. It's not moving. Or let me say it another way. If a car is idling, it's running, but it's really not doing what it was meant to do. That car wasn't meant to sit in your driveway and idle. It was, set, it was created and meant to do what? It was meant to carry you somewhere. And it's wasting gas, right? Wasting time. And, and so, but again, the devil wants us to, to so devalue our words that we don't believe much of anything that we say. And, and so again, we think of all the times we've made promises to ourselves that we haven't kept. If any other person made 50 promises to you that they didn't keep, would you believe the 51st promise? Don't mean you don't love them. Don't mean you're not still nice to them. Uh, but again, if, you, if somebody's lied to you that many times, you don't have any confidence in what they say. Right? And that's exactly what the devil is trying to do with our words. He's trying to get us to sling words around that really we don't think about it, we don't care about it, we don't give any, any consideration to it. Because what's happening is the whole time it's undermining and devaluing our own words to our own selves. Amen. Our own me. Right? So we throw death around. That pie's to die for. Oh, she's killing me. My feet are killing me. You know? Right? Or we say we exaggerate. Amen. We exaggerate. And, and so again, our, it's the, every time we do that, it's just chipping away at the, at the esteem, the value, the honor that we give to our own words. Amen. Well, I'm not sure it's exploded in anybody yet, but that's all right. I'm going to move on here in just a second, okay? Do you realize what Jesus just said? That if you can get to a place in life that you just simply believe what you say will come to pass and don't doubt, whatever you say will come to pass. You may not be at the place yet of speaking to mountains and mountains moving or speaking to fig trees and fig trees dying. Amen? But at some point, we got to start paying more attention to what we say and begin to use our words very strategically, very purposefully, very deliberately. Amen. Now, again, I've, I've reviewed some of the earlier classes more tonight than, than we have in several weeks. But remember, the Word of God is what? It's a sword. And if the Word is a sword, how do you swing it? By speaking. He said the Word of God is light. If it's light, how do you shine it into the darkness? By speaking. If words are a hammer, he said his words were like a hammer that breaks the rocks into pieces. So if the Word of God is like a hammer, how do you swing that hammer? By speaking the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Remember, those who are immature in the body of Christ, 
They are not immature because they haven't been in church very long. The folks that he talked about in Hebrews 5 had been in church long enough to be leaders in the church, but they were still like babies. Not because they were unknowledgeable, but because why? They were unskillful in the word of righteousness. Y'all remember those classes? Rightly dividing and skillfully applying the word of God. The word of God rightly divided, skillfully applied. Okay? So we're talking about becoming skillful with our words to produce results in our lives and in the world around us. More on that to come. Turn with me to James chapter 3, please. James chapter 3. I know you're turning there, but I'm going to leave Mark 11 up because the Holy Spirit prompted me that we're not quite done with this yet, right? Verse 24. Of, you turn to James. When you get to James, I'll, I'll get there in just a second. But I want us to look at Mark 11. It's on the screen here behind me. Come on, sister. Miss Pam said a good place to start speaking is to your flesh. To your flesh, right? Telling it to line up. Telling it it's not. That's what Paul said. Paul said, it will not rule me. I will bring it under subjection. Talking about his flesh. Amen. Praise God. You say, well, I just don't get that, Pastor Mark. That just don't make sense to me. You not ever had anything talk to your flesh? <laughs> you, you not ever had your flesh talk to you? Man, David learned how to speak to his soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions, right? What did he say? He said, soul, we about to worship God. Amen. Speaking to it. Speaking to it. All right. <laughs> oh, you go in there for soap and come out with $75 worth of stuff that, yeah. Yeah. They asked me, did you find everything you need? I said, yeah, and about seven things I didn't. Right? Amen. They put the soap, the bread, the milk in the farthest corner of the store so you've got to walk past everything else. Absolutely. All right, so I'm going to point it out, right? Verse 24, would you do me, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. We're going to move on from this. But I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I want, you, I want you to take these verses out of Mark. Mark chapter 11, verses 20. Really, 25, he brings in a, another component, all right? Um, and, and that one is forgiveness, Okay. So in this, we have the object lesson on faith, the power of our, um, our words, Jesus calling that prayer, and then also conjoined with that is forgiveness. So Mark 11, 20 through 25, would you just spend some time on those verses before the Lord, with the Lord, um, you know, tonight, in the morning, whenever you do your devotional, or you could even maybe carve out a little extra time. Um, for that just not now obviously but I just want to there's some things that the Holy Spirit wants to plant in your heart that I'm just plowing it up and throwing seed right but you need to let you need to let him speak to you somebody in here especially the Lord's wanting to speak some very profound things to your life and future some of you are hitting the wall in life and and the answer to breaking through that wall is in these verses for you right here but look at what he says right here in verse 24 therefore I say to you now who's speaking right here the Lord Jesus right Head of the church is speaking right here. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you receive them, 
Give thanks, is that what it says? When you receive them, believe that you have them, is that what it says? No, he says when you pray, believe you receive them. When you pray, believe you receive. And you will have them. When do you believe that you receive? When you, when you actually hold it in your hands? No. That's not faith. Faith doesn't say, oh, I'll believe it when I see it. That's not faith. Faith says, I prayed according to the will of God, according to the word of God. Now, I believe that I receive whatever it is that I ask. Right? Do you have it yet? Literally in your possession? No. But faith says, Jesus taught us, again, teaching us about faith. Whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe. Believe when you're praying. And if you believe when you're praying that you receive, whatever it is when you pray, you'll, you'll eventually, amen, you hear what I'm saying? Possess it in your hands. Amen. All right. Do what now? It, it, it is. That's, that's a good way of saying it. Um, she said faith is a means to overcome doubt. Also, if you think about that, those are two opposing forces um, that, are, that are trying. It's like light and darkness. Um, where, but the Bible says that the darkness, the light shined in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Literally means that the darkness could not overcome it. Um, and so there's a struggle between darkness and light. But, but light is the greater force. Okay? And so when, we, when we're talking about doubt and, and of course, unbelief, um, there is that power struggle there. Amen. And um, so, obviously, we have to... You know, whatever you feed, I've said this so many times in these classes, I'll say it again. Whatever you feed gets, grows and gets stronger. Whatever you starve gets weaker and dies. All right? So, <clears throat> as long as Abraham... Men, I know y'all have heard this so many times. You could, who wants to come preach it, right? Y'all could all preach it on Wednesday nights. But as long as Abraham focused on everything he and Sarah were up against, they remained weak in faith and staggered at God's promises. But the Bible says one day he, he decided he was no longer going to consider how old he was and the deadness of Sarah's womb. She was postmenopausal, but when she was in her 20s, she couldn't get pregnant. Now she's in her 80s, right, and no child. And as long as he focused on those things, the Bible says he remained weak in faith and staggered at what God had promised to him. But the Bible says he considered not his age or the deadness of Sarah's womb, but he considered that there was nothing too hard for the Lord. He gave glory to God, and as he did that, his faith grew. He went from laughing at God's promises, considering them ridiculous and utterly impossible, to, to embracing, and the Bible says he became fully persuaded, fully convinced. That to me is one of the best simple definitions of faith in all the, all the Word of God is full persuasion or fully convinced. Fully convinced. Amen. So, um, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, be fully convinced that you receive them. And you will have them. You will experience them. You will enjoy them. It will come to pass. Amen? Alright, James, James chapter 3. And let's go to uh, verse... Number two, James chapter three, verse number two. The word of God says, "For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body." 
Man. Stumble in many things. Lots of different areas. The Bible says there's a sin that easily besets each one of us. What may easily trip me up may not be the one that easily trips you up, but we all have that one thing, that one area. Okay? But in addition to that one key area, we've certainly um, ventured out into other areas of stumblings. Amen? Or oh me, right? Now, I believe somebody in a class on a Wednesday evening at 5 o'clock for two hours is interested in pleasing God and not stumbling anymore. And he's giving us some really powerful and important insight into how to walk that out and live that out. He says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man and able to bridle or control the whole body. If you can control, if you can control what you say, that's the key to controlling your whole body. Amen. From time to time, we talk about these key areas. The devil wants to try to overload you, overwhelm you, so many things in your life to focus on. So, no, no, no. See, again, there's a few key areas that if we focus on those, they'll take care of a thousand little, little things. But here, notice what he's saying here. You, know, you, you, can, you can fight and struggle and all that with self-control and, and controlling the flesh and all these other things. But he said, look, if you'll focus on word control, that will move you light years ahead in your self-control. Verse 4, Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Alright, we're going to build on some of those last verses we read in just a moment, but I want to go back up and pull out some of the ones. Let's, let's begin at verse 4. 
Look also at ships, although they are made, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, and how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue, I'm sorry, verse 3 is, <laughs> I'm wondering, where's verse 3? I started at verse 4, no wonder. Verse 3, that's where we need to begin. Forgive me. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Okay, notice the, the whole body again. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Okay, let's talk about this for a moment. He's giving us some imagery here. He's giving us some things that, that we can uh, look at. Matter of fact, he, he even says, he in, in, instructs us, look also at, look also at. He said we put bits in the horse's mouth and, and, and look also at the ship. So he's saying that the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder underneath a large ship have something in common, and not just something in common with one another, but they also have something in common with the words that we speak, our tongue, the words that we speak out of our mouths. Okay? Now, if we start making the comparison between the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder of a ship, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that the bit is very small compared to the size of the horse, and the rudder is very small compared to the ship, and my tongue is very small compared to my body. Okay? You got that? All right. The next thing that I see about the bit and the rudder is that while they are very small in comparison to the horse and the ship, both of these are instrumental in directing both the horse and the ship. All right? So the ship, he says, wherever the pilot or the governor listeth, or desires, King James Version says listeth, or chooses. Remember, he put before us Blessing and cursing, life and death. He even talks about the blessing and cursing later down in these verses. Yes? I know I'm going fast, man. This is really, really important, okay? Life-changing important right here, all right? So, <clears throat> back to it. He says that the great ship is turned by the small rudder, directed by the small rudder, wherever the governor, there's the, the dude at the wheel, Right, wherever he turns that rudder, wherever he chooses, wherever he steers it. Now, he doesn't go into that same detail with the person that's riding the horse. But again, if you understand, the person on the horse has control of the reins. The reins connect to the, um, to the bit in the horse's mouth. And that horse goes wherever the rider steers or directs it. Yes? Are you seeing this so far? All right. So, again, small compared to something big, but also what else do they have in common? They're both small compared to something big, 
but they are the primary means by which the big horse and the big ship are directed. So he's wanting me and you to understand that although our tongue is small compared to our body, our tongue, like the bit, like the rudder on the ship, also is the primary means for directing our lives. Wow. Okay. Now, there's at least one other connection here that we need to make. And that is, the third thing that the bit and the rudder have in common is that not only do they direct something much larger in comparison, but they direct the horse, the bit directs the horse, and the rudder directs the ship, both bring direction through the application of pressure. Pressure. Okay? So let me explain. Alright? So the, the rider on the horse has the reins. The reins are connected to the bit. If the rider wants the horse to go one direction, he pulls gently on that side, which puts pressure on the sensitive part of the horse's mouth, and the horse trying to relieve that pressure turns right in that direction. Pressure is applied to the bit. So if you can imagine this giant ship, rudder underneath, out of sight, invisible, right? Underneath the bottom of that ship, very small compared to that ship. When the, when the governor, when the captain of the ship turns the wheel of the ship, he turns that wheel, and when he turns that wheel, it turns that rudder. When that rudder turns, it too begins to experience pressure. So imagine in your mind, you know, as that ship is sailing through, and that, that rudder underneath that ship is very thin, it's cutting through that water in alignment with the ship and in alignment with the direction that the ship is going. But now all of a sudden, the captain of that ship decides it's time to make a change. It's time to change course. It's time to do something different. Amen? What does he do? He turns the wheel. When he turns that wheel, he turns that rudder. Now that rudder is no longer just slipping through that water, but as it, as it turns, amen, it begins to apply pressure, which eventually pulls that ship around. Now, if we're in a speedboat, you know, uh, those, the rotor and the motor and the propeller are kind of all the same thing, and you can turn those pretty quick. But a really large ship that is only steered by a rudder, once he changes that course, he understands that it's going to take some time for the course direction, uh, the, the course change that he's made to actually take effect. You could say it this way, right? It sometimes takes a while to turn a large ship. Amen. Okay? Now, again, he didn't just say that these two things were similar, but he said for us to understand those two things so that we can better understand the words that we speak. So if the bit brings a change in direction by pressure, the rudder brings a change of direction by pressure, then he's saying that we need to begin, if we're going to change things, change course, 
change circumstances, change situations, change family history, change things that have perhaps haunted us and plagued us in our families for generations, that if we're going to change those, we're going to have to begin to apply pressure to those things with the words that come out of our mouths. All right, now let's say that the captain of the ship, he, he sets a new course by turning the wheel, moving the rudder, applying pressure. And the, and the boat doesn't turn fast enough or he gets distracted. And he lets go of the wheel of the ship. What's going to happen? The wheel's going to spin because the minute he lets off of the wheel, that rudder that's having pressure applied to the underside of that boat is going to snap right, right back into alignment with the course that that boat was, was traveling so it can start gliding back through the water again. And that's going to translate to the wheel on deck spinning back to the, the uh, location that it was before he began to start applying the pressure. That's why, especially if you're thinking like an, an old-fashioned type ship, and obviously they didn't have modern maritime like we have today, those, those uh, wheels would have giant pegs on them, and many times they would even have ways, once the captain turned it, and sometimes it would take multiple people to turn it, especially if there was fierce winds that were, were pushing the ship in a direction that it no longer wanted to go in, the captain no longer wanted to go in, that they would even then take ropes and tie that wheel in that new position until the course of that ship had changed. Amen. Amen. See, what people who criticize this teaching, what they say is something like this, I tried that faith confession stuff and it didn't work. Well, what really happened is faith confession tried you and you didn't work. Because God's ways never fail. Right? But more than likely what happened is we started trying to say a few positive things along with the hundred negative things that we've been saying our whole lives. Right? And wondered why things didn't, didn't wither up from the root overnight. Let's go back to the devil trying to get you to devalue your own words. Do you realize Jesus never spoke a single word out of his mouth that his father didn't tell him to say? Think about that for a minute. Man, we just vomit diarrhea at the mouth. You know, something don't go our way and we just start cursing ourselves, cursing there. And you don't have to use four-letter words to curse yourself. Right? See, we make a mistake. Oh, no, I'm so stupid. I can't do anything right. I don't even know why I try. Blah, 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 blah. Just vomiting at the mouth. And the devil is sitting back laughing his rear end off at you. Because you're just steering the ship of your life straight to the, 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 the waterfall that he's trying to get you to, 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 to steer towards. Who is your preacher? Well said, brother. Amen. <laughs> Who taught you to speak like that, right?
Raised in the house with, with Jesus. Um, thought Jesus was a nut until he was raised from the dead. But if you read the book of James, you see it doesn't, it doesn't read like any other book in the Bible. There is a perspective that James had that the Holy Spirit used. And I think that may be what Aaron's referring to. That, that, um, that we uh, are, uh, are blessed with. Amen. That we are blessed with. Because see, you know, even when what James taught us about faith and works, clearly salvation is by faith through grace, right? It's, it's by grace through faith. It's not um, of works, lest any man should boast. So everybody's like, all right, man, sign me up. You ain't got to do nothing. I'm fine with that, you know? Because under the law, you had all those, you know, traditions and this and that. And so there were some folks that said, well, man, if we're, if we're talking about a do-nothing uh, uh, religion here, I, I guess I'll, I could handle that. Right? No, no, it's not, not do-nothing, right? That's, and so James brought some correction to, um, to, to the church in his day, and amen, if we'll receive it to the church in ours. Thank God for everything we're learning and, and understanding about grace, but your salvation is not based upon works. Keith Moore's been doing a teaching on rewards here of late, and, um, and, and he, the Lord gave him this statement, and I love it. It's simple, but I love it, right? Our righteousness is not based upon works, but our rewards are. Our rewards are based upon works. Amen. And so what we do is important. So anyway, I, praise God. There's a lot of stuff there that, that um, maybe we can get to later about James and, and, and his perspective on things. Um, but certainly the Holy Spirit inspired um, you know, James to write what, he, what he's written, uh, to reveal to us what's been revealed. And um, we're going to look in a minute. Jesus had a few things to say about the words of our mouth as well. Okay. All right, so <clears throat> let's, uh, let's go back to it then. The, the Word of God is like the rock, the hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. Sometimes, the first time you hit a rock with a hammer, it don't break. And that's why the Bible says, it's not more faith that you need, it's perseverance, it's endurance that you need. Don't cast away your confidence because it has great recompense of reward. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, believe you receive. Amen. Because your tongue, the words that are coming out of your mouth, are beginning to apply pressure to circumstances and situations. You're wanting something better out of life than you've had in the past. Well, we've got to change course. And, 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 you know, people say, and I guess on one level they're right, man, that's hard to do, Pastor Mark. Well, it's not just hard to do, it's impossible to do if you don't change what you're saying. Because the words that are coming out of your mouth are charting the course that your life follows. So there comes this point in our lives, and, and so I've been asking you, because again, I'm not just wanting you to learn about discipleship, I'm wanting us to all participate in the discipleship process that the Holy Spirit's now overseeing in all of our lives. And I've been asking you, so I'm going to ask you again, what is it in your life? And I'm, don't ask, I'm not asking you for seven things, I'm really just wanting you to focus on one and, and, and let the Holy Spirit show you what that one is. But figure out what that one thing is that you want to see change, the answer, the breakthrough, whatever, and then start, I mean, change the course 
begin to apply a pressure, begin to apply pressure to that thing with the words. Amen. Notice what is letting that wheel slip is when you go back to, to saying what you were saying before. Where you just refuse to say anything but what God says about that situation. Don't take any thought by saying that comes into your mind that's negative or out of alignment with what God has said about it. And, and, and experience for yourself how this tool that Jesus gave us, among other things, can begin to work for you instead of what it's done most of all of our lives, and that's work against us without us even knowing or realizing or understanding it. Amen? All right. But there's more. Notice that he ended too by, um, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. He's talking about, remember Proverbs, the produce of the mouth. All right, turn with me now to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew, the 12th chapter. Praise God. Praise God. Yes, ma'am. Amen. That is that. <laughs> Amen. 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 Sister Betty's talking about a place in Freeport where there's uh, in salt water, there's a spring of fresh water that comes up, and nobody can explain it, but it's it's just God's divine mystery. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 33. Matthew 12 and verse 33. Again, written in red, Jesus speaking. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by what? Known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Okay? Now, let's talk just a little bit before we go any further, Jesus is, again, about to reveal some very amazing and very powerful and very important things to us about the words of our mouths. He begins this lesson by addressing the religious establishment, the religious leaders. And of course, what we know, among other things that Jesus said about them, and this is related, is that they were like whitewashed tombs. Like, think about an above-ground tomb that was very beautiful and painted, freshly painted white on the outside, but inwardly, he said, full of dead men's bones, and he said they were like that. And so they were sending mixed signals to people. They had the appearance of holiness, but they were not producing the fruit of holiness. And that's why he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, because of the disparity, and it was confusing people. He then called them a brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? 
For out of the abundance of the heart, what's inside of you, from that, he says, the mouth speaks. From that, the mouth speaks. Now, we have for many weeks now on Wednesday night been studying, I mean in the main service, and I know some of you stay, some of you don't, so I'm being, you know, careful here. I'm I'm not wanting to try to re-preach all that, especially those of you that already heard it multiple times. But the Bible says that God has given to every man the measure of faith. So you've got faith inside of you. We also see that that faith can lie dormant inside of you. In other words, it never be awakened, it never be aroused, it, 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 it never really benefits you or anybody else. You can go to a third world country, people never heard the name of Jesus a single time, preach the Word of God to that individual, and if they hear and receive that message, the faith that they need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, it resides within them. And so in other words, the Word of God, the Bible says faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So the Word of God arouses or awakens the gift of faith that God has placed in the heart of every person. Amen. King Agrippa heard the word of God from Paul concerning salvation. It aroused faith within him to the point, it was almost kind of like, you know, King Agrippa was a very powerful man, and, you know, Paul was a prisoner, but he was also, you know, like a really popular figure. And so King Agrippa kind of throwing his weight around, he says, bring the prisoner Paul to me, you know, I want to talk to him, you know. And so he invites Paul to tell him his story, and Paul preaches the gospel to him by telling him his story, and King Agrippa says, you, hold on Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost is a key word there, right? What was happening? Faith in Agrippa's heart was being aroused and awakened by the Word of God, and now something on the inside of him is being activated, and he's like putting the brakes on it because something he doesn't even really understand himself. The Word of God, right? So, Jesus is talking about the words that we speak, but before he goes into this next section, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? Now, sadly, what most people understand about this is only from what I call the withdrawal side, and I don't mean like withdrawing from addiction. I know a lot of addiction recovery stuff associated with this. I'm talking about like a bank withdrawal. We only understand this from the perspective of speaking words to withdraw, to produce something positive in our lives, but we we never understand it from the perspective of making the deposit first in our heart. The woman with the issue of blood, been sick for many, many years, spent every penny she had, suffered many things from the hands of the, of the doctors, and was none the better. She was dying. The Bible says that she said within herself continually, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. The Bible doesn't say this, I believe, from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that she read 
in the Old Testament where when the Messiah comes to the earth that there would be healing in His wings. Wings are not speaking of like the wings of a bird. It's speaking of the tassels or the, 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 the hems of the garments, the, the edges of the garment, the fringes of the garment. She believed Jesus was the Messiah. She believed based upon what the Word of God said that the Messiah would have healing in the fringes of His garments. So she began to say within herself over and over, continually over and over, if I but touch the hem of His garment, I will be made, I will be made well, I will be made whole, right? She said that and said that and said that and said that until it became so big in her. Are you seeing this? Faith grew in her to the point that she had to act on it. She had to slip through that crowd, grab hold of the back of his uh, garment, the back of his robe. And, and of course, the Bible says that she was made well. Jesus asked, who touched me? They laughed. They said, people are bumping into you everywhere. What do you mean? He said, who touched me? Right? She said, because virtue flowed out of me. And then Jesus turns around and he says to that woman, he says, your faith made you whole. Now you say, wait, Jesus made her whole, but that's not what Jesus said. Why did he say your faith made you whole? Because he wanted you and me to learn the faith lesson that was there. Okay? So when we're talking about speaking to things... It's like writing a check that you don't have money in the bank to cover. We've got to get the Word of God in our hearts in abundance so that when we speak the Word of God out of our mouths, here's another way of saying it, all right? If you squeeze a ketchup bottle, ketchup's going to come out of it because ketchup is in it. The real question for you and me tonight is when the pressures of life squeeze us, what comes out of us? Does doubt and unbelief come out of us? Does, does negativity and victimization come out of us? Does complaining and whining come out of us? Or does thus saith the word of the living God come out of us? What's in you in abundance will come out of you when a pressure is applied to you. And trust me, I'm not trying to be negative, but Jesus said in this world you will face pressure. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sometimes when you're confessing the Word of God, it's not, you're not making a withdrawal, you're making a deposit. Every time she said within herself continually, if I touch the hem of His garment, I'll be made whole, she wasn't withdrawing healing, she was depositing healing and connecting that inside of her with her faith until that faith became so strong, she couldn't see it any other way. No doubt, right? That's what that means, no doubt. I like to say no doubt that way. Couldn't see it any other way. Let's keep reading here. Verse 35. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now I'm not about to tell you that your other actions are somehow not important. But see, we've, we've been deceived by the devil to think that what we do is what matters most, and what we say is really not that big of a deal. 
when it's just the opposite. Because remember, if we can let the Lord help us with what we say, then all these behavior issues that we're having controlling our body, controlling our flesh, right, are going to be brought under control, going to be brought in, in, into alignment. <laughs> all right, amen. Amen. Verse 35. You ready for this? A good man out of the good treasure. Think treasury. Think, if you were to look at this word in the original language, I think a better definition here, a better translation here, would be the word deposit. A good man out of the good deposit of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil deposit brings forth evil things. Now, this is where, amen, you're going to have to, ah, this is challenging now. Let's, let's make sure, though, that we got this. Remember in the beginning tonight when I made mention of how people take things that are spiritual in nature and they try to understand them by, with natural things. They try to water them down, dilute them to be natural things. So when Jesus says a good man out of the good treasure's heart brings forth good things, the common understanding of this, which is wrong, the common understanding is that a good man says good things. A kind man says kind words. A kind-hearted man says pleasantries to people on the elevator in the morning. Well, certainly we should be kind and we should say kind things to people. I'm not by any means trying to say that we should not, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Remember, from the produce of your lips, things, tangible things, actual things in your life that are being brought forth from inside of you by your words. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things by the words that he speaks, by the words that she speaks. Now, I, listen to me now. <laughs> this helps me, and I hope this will help you. Okay? Where do apples come from? Where are those apples right now in the middle of February? They're inside of that tree. You can't see them. Matter of fact, unless you are highly skilled, highly trained, you could walk past an apple tree right now and think it was dead, think it was a scrub tree, think it was had no indication whatsoever that it is any tree of value, much less... Somewhere in the trunk of that tree are apples that we can eat and make apple pies from. That apple tree brings forth apples from within itself. They come from inside that tree and they're pushed out of the branches of that tree onto the ends of those branches 
They're, they're not hung there like Christmas ornaments while we all sleep. They come out of a tree. They come out of that tree. Where is the kingdom? It's inside of you. Matthew 13, 52 from the Message Translation. Anyone who is perfectly trained in the kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put their hand on anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. The resources of God's kingdom are inside of you. Real things. Things that you need. Have you not been given everything that pertains to life and godliness? Have you not been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? How do we get the apples in our trunk, out from our trunk, onto the branches of our lives? We bring those out of us by words. Words is how we bring the resources of God's kingdom from inside of us, out of us, in a real, tangible, measurable, verifiable way. Come on now. He who has ears to hear, let him hear it. This is the Word of God. This is how you are created. We're talking about what you are. Amen? What you are. Notice the same thing is true. In the same way that we can bring good things from within us, through the words that we speak, we can also bring evil things from out of us. Real, tangible, measurable, verifiable evil things in our lives. Because death and life is in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat the fruit of it. Those who love it will eat the fruit of it. Wow. Let's do this. I think we've got time. Thank you, Jesus. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Those of you who are taking notes, I didn't give you these references. Luke 17, 21 is where it says the kingdom of God is within you. And then Matthew 13, 52. I quoted it from the message translation. It's very similar. Um, do what now? Luke 17, 21, where it says the kingdom is within you. And Matthew 13, 52 is where Jesus talks about being trained in the kingdom. And those who are trained in the kingdom remember what we said about discipleship and you know, our ability to reproduce the same works that Jesus did. Did Jesus not say the works He did, we'd do also and even greater works because He goes to His Father? Where did all that food come from that fed those thousands of people? Come on now. That was kingdom food, my brother and my sister. Amen. The Bible calls that manna spiritual meat. And the Bible calls that water that they drank in the desert spiritual, spiritual drink. Think about it now. Spiritual meat, spiritual drink. It wasn't imaginary. They literally went out and picked up something that was matter, that was material, they picked it up off the ground and they ate it. They took that water and they drank it and it quenched their thirst and it filled their bellies. It didn't grow on no vine here on this earth. 
it was something that was spiritual, it originated in the spirit realm, that was converted into something physical. Amen. Amen. I feel like some of you are like, just like your head's like, just the water's just almost over. You don't start holding your head back, right? Come on now. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Yes. A microscopic egg and a microscopic seed conceived, conception, right? In the mother's womb. And then those cells begin to divide and multiply. And then again. See, it's like the apple tree. We take that so for granted. But that is, come on now. (laughs) Are you kidding me? All of that showing us the ways of God. All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all filled with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is what I'm convinced of. You'll never understand speaking in tongues like you need to understand speaking in tongues anyway until you first understand the power of the tongue. If you don't understand the importance of the tongue, then you'll never really appreciate this supernatural partnering together between you and the Holy Spirit to speak heavenly words out of your mouth in this earth's atmosphere. I'm feeling rushed right now, and I'm not going to be rushed, all right? Now, if you were on the committee, got any designers in here, graphic designers, artists in here? few of us, one of us, amen? Man, that's surprising. All right, let me get some artists in here, right? If you were on the committee to, in heaven, to come up with the visible sign of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon mankind, would you really expect your mock drawing of a forked tongue on fire to win the design contest? You see what I'm saying, right? I mean, you know, you think, come on now, Jesus, what in the world? A cloven tongue set on fire right up on top of all of of them's heads. Right? And the power of the Holy Spirit becoming so strong upon them and within them as it interacted with their 
physical bodies that it literally caused them to act as someone who was drunk early in the morning on, on wine, alcohol. And they staggered out of that upper room speaking in foreign languages. Amen. I'm sure someone that, you know, doesn't understand these things but was a witness that day going, you mean this is, this is what we've been waiting on this whole time, right? A cloven or divided tongue of fire. Let's talk about it for a moment. First of all, if you look at the animals in the Old Testament, the ones that were considered clean and therefore pure to eat, were the ones who had a cloven hoof, a divided hoof. Okay? So cloven or divided was again a sign of purity. Fire was also a sign of purity, but was also a sign of refining and was also a sign of, of like think wildfire, something being... Remember what he said in James that our tongues, the human tongue has been set on fire with the fires of hell. How great a matter a little fire kindles. How many times have we gone around shooting off our mouth, talking about people behind their backs, gossiping, and that's just the beginning of it, right? And we've started fires, right? We've, we've had things, how many times, anybody, don't raise your hand, anybody ever had a kid said something, and then somebody else said what your kid said, and next thing you know, this whole thing's turned into a family emergency, right? I mean, it's, it's the, what in the world, right? Things taken out of context, things that were said that were not meant the way they were taken, blah, 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 right? And the devil has a field day in all of that, because again, of the power of the tongue. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. When the Holy Spirit first came and fell upon the early church, that 120 men and women who were interested enough in what Jesus said to take off work and get a babysitter, He said to thousands of people, go wait in Jerusalem, but only 120 of them chose to go and do it. 120 in the upper room. The fullness of time had come. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon the earth. This initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was the tongue it was their tongues that the Holy Spirit wanted control of. It's a strong word. It's probably not the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Control of. Why? Because the tongue had been set on fire with the fires of hell. Finally, now, we've got 120 men and women alive and well on planet earth, and their tongues are no longer set on fire with the fires of hell, but their tongues have been set on fire with the fire of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He says this, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. I'm sorry, I'll give you a chance to turn there. Praise God, I told you I was feeling rushed. If we don't finish it tonight, we'll finish it next week. If Jesus comes back before then, we'll learn it in heaven. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Man, I'm feeling such an urgency right here. Praise God, I'm feeling such an urgency right here. Romans 8 and 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. King James Version says infirmities. If you write things in your Bible or in your notes, 
right out beside that word weaknesses, infirmities, right out beside it, an inability to get results. An inability to get results. So we've got some area in our lives where we need some breakthrough. We need some results. And we are unable, seemingly unable to get those results. Our infirmities, our weaknesses. Why can't we get the results that we need? He tells us, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. So he's saying here that we've got a problem that we can't seem to get resolved. And the answer to that problem is the same answer to any other problem. It's prayer. But notice where this problem is concerned, we're not getting the breakthrough. We're not experiencing the results because we don't know how to pray as we ought. What is he telling us right here? The, the, the answer is knowing how to pray as we ought is how we get the answer to every problem in our lives. But the Spirit. Oh, come on now. Let's get excited about this. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech is how the, I believe, the Amplified Version says that. This is talking again about the Holy Spirit assisting us in prayer. Now he who searches the hearts, this is the Holy Spirit, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints. How? According to the will of God. What is he saying? Think about this now for a moment. I could show you a whole bunch of other verses here. Remember, if we pray according to God's will, we know that we have whatever we ask. But there are times when we find ourselves in situations that we're not exactly sure what the will of God is. In order for the prayer to be answered, it must be prayed. In order for the prayer to be prayed accurately, we need to know what God's will is for that particular situation. We don't know what that is. So what do we do? The Holy Spirit is God. He does know what those answers are. He does know what the will of God is. And if we will allow Him to help us, He will give us words in a heavenly language and, and, and literally praying alongside with us, through us. He will make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He's literally saying that you can be a, a baby Christian, just born again, don't even know the Old Testament from the New Testament, but you get filled with the Spirit, and you can allow the Holy Spirit to help you pray in an unknown tongue, and you can pray a perfect prayer in perfect alignment with the will of God and change the course of your life, allowing the Holy Spirit to pray the will of God for your life through you. Does he not say, I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. I have put my words in your mouth. Certainly that is the written word of God. But that's not where that stops. First Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Guys, I'm about to leave you, but you're going to be better off. It's going to be to your advantage because unless I go away, 
the Father cannot send the Holy Spirit, but I have prayed to my Father for Him to send the Holy Spirit to you, so when I leave you, that's when the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and you're actually going to be in a better position with me in heaven representing you there, and the Holy Spirit inside of you advocating for you here than if I was to simply remain here with you in the flesh. Romans 10, verse 1. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Hallelujah. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So this is that verse that I mentioned a moment ago. Okay? It was spiritual food, it was spiritual drink, but it was also physical in the sense that it was something they could eat and it filled their bellies. So what we're talking about here is converting spiritual things into tangible, physical, visible things. Are you with me? All right. There's no way I can finish this, but let me... Hallelujah. Let me try. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-mm-mm. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. I'm going to read quite a few verses here. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things... I'm going to skip down, verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Let me stop right there. You've been given things that you don't know are yours. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared, past tense, has prepared, not will prepare, has prepared for those who love Him, but God has revealed those things to us by His Spirit, because the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. And that's the same Holy Spirit that you and I have been given, the one who knows all that has been given to you. So we have received not the Spirit who is of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that through the Spirit who is from God, we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. He knows those things. Verse 13, these things we also speak. What things? Things that have been freely given to us by God that we don't know are ours. We speak these things. Why is it important for us to speak them? Because speaking them is how they come into existence. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, not words you learned in school, not words you read in your English book or your French book 
or your Spanish book. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but in words which the Holy Spirit teaches. Right? Unknown, heavenly language. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That word comparing there is not the best translation. It should read composing. Composing spiritual things with spiritual words, bringing into existence spiritual things with spiritual words. All right, I, amen. We got to praise God. We got to stop here so we can go do it again in there, right? Amen. You get anything out of this? Some heavy stuff. It's good stuff. Amen. Father, thank you for your life, your love, your peace, your joy, your wisdom, your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you tonight for just. Lord, you're our teacher, Holy Spirit. We're just all instruments here of righteousness being used by you. So take these things, plant them deep in our hearts. Lord, those who may be confused, help them through their confusion. Those who want to understand but are still struggling to understand, Lord, just help them, teach them, show them. Help us pursue these things, Father. Help us in our hearts to know these things. Help us, Father, as we continue to try to wrap our minds around these things, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and brings revelation. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I love you. Thank you so much for being here this evening.